The title of this morning's message is, Which Theory of Atonement is Right? (laughs) This morning I want to talk to you about the two most widely accepted theories of atonement. The Penal Substitution Theory of Atonement and the Christus Victor Theory of Atonement. But we're going to start out with the Ransom Theory of Atonement. (laughs) And since these theories are all about atonement, we need to understand how the word atonement represents what happened on the cross. The word atonement is only translated as atonement once in the New Testament. In Romans 5, verses 10 and 11, it says this, For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, being reconciled, shall we be saved, healed, delivered, provided for, protected by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. The Greek word here for atonement, I looked it up in the HELPS word studies, and it's a Greek word pronounced katalage. Katalage is primarily an exchange. It denotes reconciliation. It is a change on the party of one induced by the action of the part of another. In the New Testament, it is almost 100% of the time, except for right here, It is translated reconciliation. Reconciliation is of men to God by his grace and love in Christ. So in verse 11 here, it is simply saying that they have received or come into the favor of God the Father on account of what Jesus has done on the cross. They are now at one or reconciled or made friendly again with God. What we have in the New Covenant isn't actually atonement. It's reconciliation. It's being brought back into God's favor. Atonement is an Old Covenant concept, and it refers to sins being covered over by blood, and that the one who's been offended by the sin, which would be God, then treats their sins as if they cannot be seen. Sounds like a good idea. That's Old Covenant. (laughs) What we have is actually the removal of sins, not the covering over of sin. You see, if you cover over a sin, you're still guilty. (laughs) That's not what Jesus did for us. He actually removed our sin. Reconciliation is a whole lot better than atonement. Recently, my husband had a bit of a run-in with somebody on Facebook. This person was obviously looking for a fight regarding his particular favorite perspective on the theory of atonement made through Jesus Christ. He was actually kind of (laughs) rude, and Mark was just kind of bewildered that a grace guy would want to argue about what Jesus accomplished on the cross. (laughs) He asked Mark if he believed in the ransom theory of atonement, and Mark's reply was, well, Jesus did pay for our sins, to which he responded, and to whom did Jesus pay this ransom? To which Mark thought, what is your problem? (laughs) Scripture clearly says that Jesus is our ransom. What is it exactly you want to argue about? This particular person wanted to argue about the different theories of atonement, and in his mind, straighten Mark out. Get him back on the straight and narrow. (laughs) Now the scripture does call Jesus our ransom. In Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister 
and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, according to the Strong's Concordance, the word translated ransom is the Greek word luchan. It means something to loosen with. That is a redemption price, figuratively atonement, but it actually means to ransom, to pay a price in exchange for someone or something being returned to its rightful owner. This word paints a good picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross. It helps us to understand what actually occurred through Jesus laying down his life. There's nothing wrong with the ransom picture. <laughs> There's another place in scripture where this word shows up and it's in 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting with verse 5. And it says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Again, according to the helps word studies, the word ransom, it's the Greek word anti-litron, and it means, anti means corresponding to, instead of, or in exchange for. We would say substitution. <laughs> and then the rest of the word litron simply means ransom price, properly. And properly means in the strictest sense. You break it all down, the, the perfect understanding of this word is full ransom referring to Christ paying the complete purchase price to secure our freedom and redemption. In other words, it's completely paid for. We don't make installments. <laughs> we don't make payments to God to get our sins forgiven or removed from us. Christ exchanged his eternal righteousness for our sin. So that's the idea of this word ransom. It's an exchange. You give me your sin, I give you my righteousness. The picture this word paints is the one of the Old Testament lambs. When an Old Testament believer sinned, they brought their lamb as their substitute for themselves. <laughs> and when they confessed their sin and symbolically transferred their guilt to the lamb, the lamb would be slain as the party bearing the guilt. And the worshiper would receive the innocence of the lamb and then go free. Jesus took our death in exchange for his life. That's the picture the word ransom is trying to paint. These words paint a really good picture to help us understand how the words ransom and redemption reveal the reality of what happened on the cross. So why was this guy on Facebook so upset? <laughs> what about ransom and redemption price did he find so disturbing? Well, as it turns out, some of the early church leaders, say, say the year AD 70 or maybe 200, around in there, the church leaders actually taught what they called the ransom theory of atonement, which says that God paid Satan the purchase price of our redemption, the same way a kidnapper might receive a monetary ransom. So that's what this guy was all upset about. Because we say Jesus paid for our sins, his response was, well, then to whom did Jesus pay this? <laughs> if we understand the ransom, <laughs> if we understand the Old Testament lamb, it's easy to answer. God in no way gave Satan anything <laughs> but a hard time. <laughs> Satan is not what held humanity captive. Satan wasn't nailed to the cross. Sin is what held humanity captive. So Jesus paid our sin debt, which was death, just like the lambs in the Old Covenant, to his Father as a sin offering. 
And just like the picture created by the sacrificial system, our sin and guilt was imputed to Jesus. In other words, God made him legally responsible for our debt. And as our lamb, the righteousness and innocence of our lamb was imputed to us. And thus, we were set free from sin. And where there is no sin, Satan has no authority. He's not the real problem. He's just the symptoms. <laughs> this early theory of paying Satan a ransom or a purchase price depicts Satan as the true owner and the true problem of mankind, which he is not. Humanity's problem has always been sin. And that's the problem Jesus addressed on the cross. Sin. This idea of ransom is just one of the pictures that God paints for us in Scripture to help us understand what happened through the cross. We can't actually see the transactions that took place on the cross. Sin is invisible. Forgiveness is invisible. So to reveal to us what God has done through Christ, he painted pictures for us through words like ransom and redemption. The word ransom paints a picture of a purchase price that sets a captive free. And the word redemption paints the picture of someone being bought out of a slave market. The theories that I'm talking about are man's attempt to help us understand what happened at the cross. And of course, man is not infallible. <laughs> so what scholars have done over the years in an attempt to explain salvation is they've built in their own arguments and ideas as to what these pictures in Scripture really mean. Now you might think, what does that matter? <laughs> who cares about these theories? You'd be surprised who cares about these theories <laughs> besides the crazy people on Facebook. Well, actually, we all do. These kinds of theories have directly impacted the way believers all over the world see God. Can you imagine seeing God paying off Satan? What does that do? That lowers the power and position of God and raises the power and position of Satan. It's a bad theory <laughs> if you look at it that way. So how many of us here today were taught that God was mad at us for our sin? That's because there is a theory for that position. And it's been in the church for years. That theory is called the theory of penal substitution. Recently, I too have been annoyed by people on Facebook <laughs> and people on YouTube who want to rant and rave about how awful this particular theory of reconciliation really is. And I kept thinking, you people are assuming facts not in evidence. <laughs> They're not revealed in scripture the things you're saying. <laughs> you're making God out to be a monster because he says our sins have received their just punishment. That doesn't make God a monster. I was sort of irritated that people were accusing or espousing the idea that our sins have been punished in the body of Jesus was somehow offensive. That it's wrong that our sins should somehow be judged in the body of Jesus. Personally, I happen to love the fact that my sins are punished in the body of Jesus <laughs> and that all of my sins have received their proper and just punishment, which is death. <laughs> and God isn't going to dole out punishment on me when I sin. I really, really like this particular view of salvation. And we can see this truth in Scripture. The doctrine of penal substitution says that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross took the punishment we deserve because of our sins. 
absolutely true. And as a result, God's justice was satisfied. Also true. And those who accept Christ are forgiven and reconciled back to a state of God's favor. Also true. In Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 22, it says this, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all, and upon all of them that believe, there is no difference. He's talking about our righteousness by faith as opposed to righteousness by works, and that there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles. Everybody has to come in by faith in Jesus Christ. He continues, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption, the purchase price paid, that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. I love the word propitiation. <laughs> it means to have justice satisfied through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Just a little side note here. Often people will quote this scripture to try to prove that only our past sins are forgiven. <laughs> I took this to the Lord one day and I said, what about this? He started out this way. He says, well, to begin with, as soon as you have committed a sin, where is it? In the past. <laughs> Problem taken care of there. But he went on to say, but as a new covenant believer, you have non-imputation of sin. So your sins are not counted against you, and all sins that are in the past are <laughs> taken care of. All of our sins are taken care of. What Paul is saying, though, is that all the sins committed under the old covenant, that's what in the past means, are rightly and justly paid for through Christ's death. The old covenant was a credit card system, whereby the Israelites used God's system of credit a substitutional lamb. I happen to love the picture of taking a big fuzzy sheep and running it through a credit card machine. <laughs> That's what they were doing. <laughs> it wasn't their bill, it was God's. They got to use God's credit card. In verse 26, it continues, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. He is just in making us righteous. He is just in forgiving us our sins because of our fuzzy lamb. <laughs> God says that he is just or right in accepting Jesus as the propitiation, the satisfaction of justice for all sin, and then justifying, declaring innocent those who believe in Jesus as their propitiation, the satisfaction of justice, and as their substitute. Jesus representing us and going to the cross to do what we could not do, which was carry sin into death and still be able to rise from the dead. Jesus was our sin bearer. The word propitiation not only includes the idea of satisfying justice, but it also includes the idea of mercy and compassion. It alludes to the old covenant mercy seat where justice is met with compassion, <laughs> where love and justice meet in the blood of a lamb. God's idea of justice is making things right, <laughs> bringing mankind back into right relationship with himself. That's God's idea of justice. And that's what he did through Christ. Sin was punished and taken into death. God says that it is just and right to have that happen. 
So the theory of penal substitution, which is seeing Jesus as our substitute, taking our place, bearing the punishment for all sin, is a correct biblical picture that should be included in our understanding of what happened at the cross. We can see the idea of penal substitution in 1 Peter 3, verse 18, says this, For Christ also hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. The logic of man says, hey, wait a minute. (laughs) That ain't right. (laughs) That's not fair. (laughs) The just for the unjust. What kind of God would do that? That's just not fair. And they're right. It's not fair. It's grace. (laughs) What people overlook is that God knew mankind had no way to get out from underneath the law of sin and death. So God himself decided to become a man and do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Take sin into death and still rise from the dead. That's grace. That's unmerited favor. He, God in his fullness, did this favor for all of us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all working together on the cross to satisfy both justice and love. Not justice apart from love, but justice because of love. God, as Father, did not punish Jesus the Son instead of us. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit punished sin in his own physical body. God's physical body on earth was Jesus. All three of them were in on this redemption. (laughs) You can't take any of them out of the scenario. They were all there bringing forth the will of God on earth. All three of them as one defeated sin, Satan, and evil. Those who were opposed to the idea of penal substitution make God out to being a child abuser who needs to pour out his wrath on someone, so he picks Jesus. We do not see this supported in Scripture anywhere. (laughs) Is God just or right in hating evil? Yes. (laughs) Is God just or right for expressing wrath against sin? Yes. Even we humans hate and have wrath for evil doings. God didn't have wrath for people, but for evil and for the power of sin. In Romans 8, 3, we see this. For what the law could not do, making us righteous, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus wasn't condemned. That's why he could rise from the dead. But the sin he took into death was condemned. God didn't wrap himself in humanity so he could punish humanity. He wrapped himself in humanity because of his great love for humanity. In John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world, not hated. (laughs) For God so loved the world, but the world seems to hear, God so hates you, (laughs) and he's so cotton picking mad at you, you need to come and get yourself right with God. Wrong message. For God so loved all of humanity that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 
He came to condemn, to sentence to death, to sentence to punishment, and to totally reject sin, not people. God is love, and everything he does comes from who he is. He is self-sacrificing love. These scholars who either misunderstand or misinterpret penal substitution often portray Jesus as a victim of his father's wrath. Jesus was not a victim. Jesus himself said regarding his life in John 10, 18, no man take it from me. I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. Jesus was not a victim. Jesus was God himself wrapped in humanity so that he could take humanity's place and carry their sins, iniquities, and transgressions into death, freeing them forever to live inside of God by having God live inside of them. We also see this concept of penal substitution in Isaiah chapter 53 regarding the the suffering servant of God. I have the Passion Translation. It reads easier, and it's easier to see my point. (laughs) Beginning in verse 3, speaking of Jesus, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of deep sorrows, who was no stranger to suffering and grief. We hid our faces from him in disgust and considered him a nobody, not even worthy of respect. Yet he was the one who carried our sicknesses and endured the torment of our sufferings. We viewed him as the one who was being punished for something he had done himself, as one who was struck down by God and brought low. But it was because of our rebellious deeds that he was pierced, and because of our sins that he was crushed. He endured the punishment that made us completely whole. And in his wounding, we found our healing Like wayward sheep, we have all wandered astray. Each of us has turned from God's paths and chosen our own way. But even so, Yahweh hath laid guilt, the guilt of our every sin, upon him. There is no getting around the truth that this passage of Scripture paints the picture of a human substitute, God's servant, who represents all humans enduring the punishment that belongs to humanity's transgressions, iniquities, and sins. That is penal substitution. Penal means punishment. So, what has happened is that some scholars have interpreted God's wrath against sin as God's wrath against humanity. They have distorted the truth of who God is, making him a wrathful tyrant who demands to be appeased with the blood of a human sacrifice. That is not at all how the scriptures portray God. But many who deny the penal substitution aspect of the cross have brought forth illogical conclusions that do not represent the truth of who God is. God has only ever wanted to rescue us from our own stupidity and the power and presence of sin, death, and Satan. God has always been for us and never against us. This brings us to the last theory. The last theory is Christus Victor of atonement or reconciliation. The Latin words Christus Victor actually and simply means Christ is victorious. So this theory sees the cross more as a place where Jesus triumphed over all the power of evil, sin, death, self, and Satan. 
at the time of Christ, all the Jews were looking for another great deliverer like Moses, the promised Messiah. They believed that this Messiah would be someone who could overthrow the power of another great and evil government like Egypt, Rome. Rome, like Egypt, exercised abusive authority over the Jews. They were like the Hebrews long ago who were yearning to be free when God raised up a deliverer from within their own people, just like Moses. They were expecting for God to provide them with a Messiah who could somehow miraculously overthrow the present day leader who was just as evil as Pharaoh. But what they didn't expect was that God had bigger fish to fry than Herod. God wasn't interested in overthrowing Rome. He was interested in overthrowing the kingdom of darkness and its own Pharaoh, Satan. They didn't understand that God would once again use the blood of an innocent lamb in order to release them from the bondage that they were into a much greater Pharaoh. They didn't realize that the blood of the innocent lamb would completely deliver them from all the power of the evil one. They didn't realize that the real Passover lamb had come to set them truly free. This is Christus Victor imagery. Jesus as the Passover lamb sheds his blood and liberates all of humanity from the dark and enslaving forces of evil in the same way that the first Passover lamb saved Israel from Pharaoh, the bondage of Egypt, and the death angel. Jesus, through his death on the cross, drove out the prince or Pharaoh of this world. In John chapter 12, 31 and 32 says this. Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the prince of this world will be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all judgment, not men, unto me. The word men is added <laughs> by the translators. The context is judgment. Jesus drew all judgment. Judgment for what? Judgment for sin. Jesus is talking about what the cross was going to accomplish. Jesus would receive all the judgment for sin, and when he did, the prince of this world would be cast out and be overcome. That's what Jesus did. In Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, it says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus disarmed all of the spiritual rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them through the cross. Colossians 2.14 says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them openly. That's why they had to see the cross. Everybody, all the spiritual powers saw what happened on the cross. Of course, they thought they had won a great victory. <laughs> they didn't know that they had just experienced the greatest defeat of all time. In a word, Jesus came to take back all that belonged to him and the Father. He came to retrieve his kids, his kingdom, and his creation. And he accomplished this very great victory through the power of his self-sacrificing love. That is the Christus victory theory of atonement. Now, as you can see, all of these theories contain true pictures of the cross. The first two have to be adjusted to actually fit the scriptures. And the third, I believe, is just insufficient all by itself although it's completely true. 
But I don't believe that any of these theories can stand alone by themselves and still give us an accurate and complete picture of what transacted on the cross. So which theory is right? <laughs> I think it's a combination of all three. After, of course, we expunge the erroneous parts about God paying off Satan and God being a bloodthirsty tyrant. You get rid of that, they're pretty good. <laughs> the truth is our Father has painted many pictures in the scriptures to help us see and comprehend what exactly happened to us, to sin, to Satan, to death, and to the whole world when Jesus laid down his life. And when we see the pictures clearly and correctly, they all reveal the loveliness and majesty of a God who is himself love. If anyone tries to paint an ugly picture of God <laughs> or wants to argue about ugly pictures of God, just do what Mark did, unfriend them. <laughs> we cannot afford to let other people paint ugly pictures of our wonderful Jesus and our amazing Father. Father is perfect, and he is perfect in all of his ways, and he is himself love. And anybody who tries to tell you that God is something other than love and just is wrong. We are the ones that revel in the fact that he is also just. We would not want someone who is hurting people to be set free. We would want them taken into captivity. That is just that God would do what is right and love and not exclude one or the other. That's who he is. He is the victor. He is the substitute. He is our salvation. Amen? Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, Father God, that you have painted many pictures so that we can get it, <laughs> so that we can look at the cross from all of these different angles and see how big and high and long and wide is your love and your goodness and your grace and how it all came through a cross because you chose to wrap yourself in humanity. You yourself came to rescue us, to deliver us, and to make all things right. Through your blood, you have made us right and righteous. And Father God, we are forever grateful for this amazing grace, this amazing love, and this amazing justice. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.